0: Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today Carrie and I are excited to be talking about superheroes with authors Mike Chen and Matt Harry. Mike is the author of We Could Be Heroes, Here and Now and Then, and A Beginning at the End. He has contributed to Star Wars from a certain point of view and covered geek culture for sites such as tor.com, The Mary Sue and star trek.com. In previous lives, he has been a musician, DJ, aerospace engineer, and credentialed NHL reporter. Mike lives in the Bay Area with his wife, daughter, and rescue animals. Matt Harry is the author of Sorcery for Beginners and its sequel, Cryptozoology for Beginners, which Booklist called a clever, often hilarious adventure. He received an MFA in film production from USC's School of Cinematic Arts and has worked as a filmmaker, editor, screenwriter, college professor, movie critic, and story consultant. His work has received accolades from the Fox Comedy Script Contest, the Austin Film Festival, the Launchpad Manuscript Competition, and the Nichols Fellowship. He lives in Los Angeles with his wife and two sons. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you guys doing? Good.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us.
0: How are you, Carrie? Good. Excited to talk about superheroes. So to start, why don't you both just kind of give us an overview before we dive into the nitty gritty about, you know, the basis of what your stories are about. Mike, do you want to start? Sure.
1: Um, so We Could Be Heroes is uh, a story of a supervillain and a superhero who accidentally become friends. They, they meet up in an anonymous support group and they discover that they have more in common than they realize. So rather than fight, they decide that they're going to team up and try to figure out how they got their powers together.
0: And how about you, Matt?
2: Yeah, Super Kid is, uh, it comes out June 1st, and it's a middle grade book about a 13-year-old comic book fan named Robbie Rampino, who is kind of upset when his dad gets remarried to this new woman, and then they have a baby, which makes things even worse. And one day he has to stay home and take care of the baby, and she's playing around on the floor, and suddenly he accidentally startles her, and she bounces off the ground by herself and he realizes that his baby sister has a superpower so he starts going around like any 13 year old would and starts using her to fight crime and live out his superhero (laughs) dreams but that starts to become a problem when actual criminals get involved in the department of homeland security and his family discovers that her powers were actually engineered by somebody so they have to go on an adventure together as a family to find out who did this to her and why
0: there's some similar themes between your book and Mike's book, which is kind of figuring out the origins of where these powers came from. So that's kind of neat. So both of you have written other genres before you wrote a superhero story. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, Why did you decide to give writing a superhero story a try?
2: I think, I mean, it wasn't my first thing I was leaning towards for sure, Uh, because I had a, a huge awareness that there was oversaturated. (laughs) in in the market. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way I kind of approached it, it wasn't really a superhero story to begin with. I I was thinking about my own son. I have a five-year-old and a 10-year-old. And my 10-year-old is on the autism spectrum and has ADHD. And I was taking care of him one day when he was four and thinking to myself like, I can barely cont- control this four year old, you know, ball of energy because he was just so energetic. This is before he was kind of diagnosed with anything, and we started figuring out ways to kind of deal with it. And I thought, like how how would this be more difficult? And then I started thinking about like the movie Superman, how when they find Superman and he's a baby, he lifts the car off of like his his dad, and then they just cut to when Superman's sixteen. And I was like, you just skipped over the most difficult, dramatic part of the story. How do you survive raising Superman when he's a three-year-old and he's throwing a tantrum? Or when he gets upset that you didn't give him applesauce instead of Oreo cookies and he turns on his laser eyes? So that was kind of where it started, was like looking at my own kid and kind of extrapolating out like how difficult this would be if you had a kid with superpowers. And so it actually went through a lot of changes. Originally, it was a stay-at-home dad who finds out his daughter has superpowers. And I showed it to a friend of mine, and she was like, this feels bad that a father is t- using his daughter to go out and you know, <laughs> kind of become a superhero and fight crime. And I was like, you're right, that is bad. And so then I reconceived it as a middle-grade novel. So it was kind of a long, lengthy process to kind of get to that. And I could talk more about, like, once I started realizing it was a real superhero book, what that approach was. Because I then realized I had to decide do you kind of lean into the whole thing of recognizing their superheroes in the world or do you do kind of the other thing that a lot of superhero novels do, which is act like they've never heard of the concept of superheroes before.
0: And how about you, Mike, how did you get into writing superhero fiction? Because I've only read one of your other books, but it was kind of more of a time travel series. Mm-hmm. So why did you make that switch?
1: So right after I published my first book, Oh, so there's, there's two parts to this, to this origin story um so the the first part is like right after i published my first uh, or when we sold the my first time travel book i i didn't want to be pigeonholed as like the time travel guy because everyone started asking like are you going to do more or a sequel or whatever i'm like i don't really want to do sequels, though I am open for it for for We Could Be Heroes because I really love those characters. Um, But I kind of made this internal goal for myself of like, I kind of want to hit all of the sub genres in speculative fiction that I really love. So so We Could Be Heroes was just kind of like on this dial of like, you know, there's cyberpunk, there's uh, time travel, there's superheroes. Um, But the idea actually first came when I was on submission um, with Here and Now and Then. So my submission process I was on submission for 20 months, which is a long, terrible time to, to have, like, your publishing fate in out of your own control. Um, and I went to acquisition, basically every three to four months, I went to acquisition, and it, it's, it wasn't a typical process at all. Um, and because most of the time, it's like, you kind of have, like, six months, and then you're just kind of done and you move on to the next project. But because this kept getting close, my agent was like, let's give it one more try. And in the middle of that, I was like kind of despondent. And so he had forwarded me some short fiction contests. Um, And so We Could Be Heroes, the characters in the world originated as a short story called Anonymous, which is basically the fifth chapter of We Could Be Heroes were, were the actual support group. It, it was a short story that was kind of built around that. And uh, about 60 to 70% of that short story still exists in this book. And so uh, I published that. I didn't put it in any contest, but I sold it to a magazine. Um, and then when it came time you know, so, uh, here and now and then published and then a beginning at the end published. And then it was time to think like, well, what am I going to do now? And I'm like, I, I really loved those characters. I, lo- I had the world built already. So I asked my agent, like, would anyone actually buy a superhero novel? Because I'm like, this is, you know, you just don't see too much of that in adult fiction. And the nice thing is I'm, I'm with Mira, which is a commercial fiction imprint of HarperCollins, And because they're not strictly science fiction, and they're not strictly like literary fiction, they, they're actually letting me bounce around different subgenres, genres. And, and they're very supportive of that as like, as long as I stay with like a character driven story. So um, I was still kind of surprised when they bought off on it. But I think it seems to be a good time. There's actually a few uh, superhero novels like that have come out now, or are coming out soon. So I think um, I managed to beat the zeitgeist just by a little bit.
0: That's cool. I feel like you both do a really good job, too, of just creating these these superhero stories where all the relationships are platonic, which obviously Matt, yours is middle grade, so it's a little different. But, um, you know, I just really loved the friendship between your characters, Mike, and how, you know, it, it was it was their bonds of friendship that kind of got them through. There wasn't really a, a romantic thread to that at all. And
1: that was, that was neat to see. That was refreshing.
0: Yeah. I liked that, that a really lot, important. too
1: to me that was really important to me like that was one of the first things that I I wanted to work with um I I wanted to write a friendship book and I I just feel like there's not a lot of that uh, as like a B plot you know to most adult novels it's almost not always but like probably 50 to 60% of adult novels like the, the romance is the B plot um and if it's not a romance it might be like a family story or whatever but like just a pure friendship story like that doesn't really happen that much and and i think like i really wanted to give that some representation because i feel like we don't honor that enough especially like copy editing this in the middle of 2020 when i was missing all of my friends and everything <laughs> i think like you know you really learn to value that more after going through a freaking pandemic together <laughs> so um so yeah that, that was one of the things that i really wanted to to shoot for when i when i first drafted this to jump
2: off what Mike was saying, I, that was something I really enjoyed about Falcon and the winter soldier was that, and I think what Marvel has been doing with its TV shows in general, that, uh, they can kind of take these superhero conceit and do different kinds of stories with it. Like I love the buddy kind of almost cop story that they were telling. That was my favorite parts of that. It's almost a shame when, and I loved WandaVision too, how WandaVision could be like a lost type mystery show. And then it's almost a shame when they have to go back to the superhero stuff and they have to have like a big fight at the end or make a speech about being a hero. Cause I think it's cool to explore those different relationships. And we've done so many superhero stories at this point. Like why not? Why not explore these different types of stories within that? So I think to go what you were saying, Jackie off of mine, it, again, the relationship evolved. Um, it was interesting. Once you had like an older brother, a much older brother, he's 13 and his you know sister is like under a year to look at that idea of, kind of like what if Robin was the caretaker of Batman? It kind of inverted that traditional relationship of like the person with no powers is actually the one who has the responsibility and who's the one in charge. Cause she's just a baby. And so it brought this interesting, all these things kind of came up out of it about like, what does it mean to be an older brother? What does it mean to be in a family and have responsibility for someone who's younger than you? And as I was working on it, I was seeing my 10 year old go through that with my five year old because they have quite a big gap and him having to learn what it means that like you have to go out and kind of protect him. He doesn't always want to do that. And it's a hassle. And so pulling a lot of that stuff in, I think, was a, it was just a different thing that I haven't seen a lot in superhero stories in particular.
0: That's kind of a good segue to another question that I had, which is as you're writing these, I'm sure that there are certain superhero tropes that you're excited to play with because they're fun. And then there's others that you, you know, intentionally try to avoid, maybe because they've been overdone or, you know, maybe they they uphold harmful stereotypes. And so, how do you decide, you know, which tropes to just embrace as part of the genre and which ones to um, distance yourself from? And then, how do you Inventure story so that it's still within, you know, the superhero lane. Go ahead.
1: One thing that, that I had to consider with, um, was that because it's going, I'm going through an adult commercial fiction imprint. My audience probably will not be people who like, maybe they'll watch Marvel movies uh, or maybe they'll watch like a DC TV show, but they probably don't know like deep lore, like within comic continuity. So, What I tried to do when I was giving Jamie and Zoe their powers, um, I tried to kind of use a shorthand of like, one's going to be a mental power, one of them's going to be a physical power. A A lot of the stuff that they can do is like, if you just think like superhero, supervillain, what are they going to be able to do? Like they kind of fall into like that sphere. Like there's not a lot of like you know they can I don't know open up interdimensional portals or you know it's it's a little bit more down the middle with with them. Uh, and so I wanted to be able to use a shorthand that didn't require a lot of explanation for for the audience. And then from there, I just wanted to take. What i consider to be pretty standard superhero tropes but then like really ground them in reality about like okay well these people can do these things but like how do they feel about them are they happy about it they still have to pay rent somehow you know <laughs> they still have to work and because it's not like they're generating their own food or their own shelter or whatever so trying to ground that in, in a sort of reality um so it, it was taking tropes that I really love, but then turning them on their side and then placing them within a world that we could recognize. And I would say for me,
2: again, I made a decision early on. I wanted to reference the fact that superheroes exist, that this is in our world where people know about Superman, Spider-Man, Green Lantern, our main characters, a huge comic book movie fan. He's seen all these movies so I wanted to specifically go at the tropes of these and deal with them with how would this actually happen in reality if you were dealing with a baby and a 13-year-old in charge of it. So I I feel like if, if someone actually were to get superpowers nowadays, there was a lot of like material you could use to kind of educate yourself about what am I supposed to do and what's not good to do and all this stuff. So for every kind of aspect, as they're trying to figure out how to be superheroes, I tried to interrogate and lean into from a kid's perspective, like, why do these things exist? Like why the skin tight suit? Like there's a scene where he actually, they order a bunch of superhero costumes online. He's trying stuff on. And he's like, why is it skin tight? Like, I hate the way this makes me look. Can I just wear like some jeans and a jacket? Um, and so I tried to play with that aspect of it. And then there were certain things like, I feel like, cause I'm writing a, a comedy adventure for kids. I feel like you have to have action scenes. But I tried to make them action scenes that again flipped on their head a little bit. So there's a scene where they're in a car chase and they're commenting about the fact that they're in a car chase. And the dad, who's like a film professor, is like saying, like, I've analyzed these for scene study class, but I've never like one. This is crazy. So it's that kind of thing where they're acknowledging that they've seen this kind of thing before. And how they're actually dealing with reality is a little bit more awkward or a little bit more stressful or dangerous or kind of not what you expect from seeing in a movie or a comic book, which I feel like gets glossed over in the movies. You know, like someone gets knocked into a wall and they just like get up and don't even have a bruise. You know, like Captain America has like one little bruise on him after getting hit with a building. And so this I tried to be a little bit more realistic and funny at the same time about it.
3: The skin tight suits made me laugh because this is a tangent, but we were just watching that one Star Trek episode um, where Deanna and Beverly are working out in the holodeck and they have like these goofy outfits on. And I, we, my husband and I were watching it and we were like, why does everyone have to wear a jumpsuit? Like, how do they go to the bathroom? And I imagine this is similar yeah. for superheroes, like... Why does it have to be a jumpsuit? So I look forward to reading that scene. (laughs) Can
0: you give us a hint, a hint, Matt, of what you discovered in your research?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, again, like I, when I I had the babies is like in your, he's basically, he's carrying his baby sister in like an ergo. So he's got her strapped to his chest. And because he's like a caretaker of a small baby, he realizes there are certain things that come in handy like a utility belt with snacks and a squeezy toy and extra formula for when she gets hungry. Um, But you know, there's like a scene in it where they do this big action scene. And at the end of it, he's like, we got to pull over. Like super kid just had a super blowout and they've got to change your diaper because anyone who's been a parent has realized like that's your life. Your life is on the, the clock of the kid. And no matter what you're doing, the kid is going to suddenly go to the bathroom or suddenly have a meltdown. Like there's a, a scene where they're going off to have one of their first big encounters and they literally can't get the kid inside the car because the kid doesn't want to go in the car seat. So there's like, it's like a 15 minute delay of them trying to go off and, you know, be superheroes for the first time.
3: Cause we used to call that limp baby when mm. they would like go, uh, <laughs> you know, stiff and then you couldn't get them into the car
0: seats. Yeah, I felt like I haven't read the whole thing yet, Matt, but I read the first few chapters, and I felt like you set that up really well. In that it, it starts with a scene of the brother and the baby on a bridge, and he's got like the the bottles in in the utility belt and the pacifier, and you're just like, okay, where is this gonna go? And so I think you did a really great job with that. And Mike, do you want to speak to that? I know that you had Zoe um, piece together her suit and so what was that process like figuring out okay how are these outfits going to work or how are my characters going to respond to this what did that look like for you
1: so yeah i i tried to think about the the reality of it because the suits are they're all really ridiculous and I, I love how in the um the dc shows on cw like arrow and the flash like they they address that about like where are you making these suits and like why do you have them <laughs> um and so for zoe i try to make hers like she talks about how she uh, she uses her superpowers her day job is to deliver fast food so she's basically like a door dasher except she just runs because she's faster that way but she found that like she would be tearing her pants like because she'd just be running so fast that like things would split at the seams and so she found uh some discarded motorcycle gear behind a motorcycle shop and she just kind of pieced together this suit that splits into five pieces um, so it's kind of stitched together, and uh, but it's it's much more practical for her. So like, I wanted to, when I was trying to give her a reason for having the suit, like I, I just wanted it to to make sense in the real world because it couldn't just be that, you know, she just found a magic suit somewhere. Like that that doesn't work in the reality of uh, of what these care of how these characters live. Um, and then Jamie's his suit is really just like a hoodie and a scarf and an eye mask. And he acknowledges that they are all props because his whole thing is is that he wants to put on a persona. So when he robs a bank, everyone's terrified of him. And the idea is that the more scared people are, the less they're going to try to interfere. And then he can just get in and out and not hurt anyone. And he, all he does is steal from the banks and the banks are insured by the FDIC. So no one gets hurt. <laughs> He's looking at like... A zero loss uh, excursion for for his bank robbery. So uh, his is all about theatrics, and he's playing off of these tropes that he's seen before in in like the literary and pop culture world. Trying to to identify their points of view of like what are they actually going through, and and what it's like the practical needs of of them assembling their suits.
0: So Carrie, do you want to do a couple of the audience Q and A questions? Yeah, have sure. Several today.
3: It's <laughs> exciting. I have a question of my own. Oh, but somebody else also mentioned it. So maybe I should go to this one that we're, that is both from the audience. Um, I wanted to talk about villains because I was thinking about in Mike's book, how Jamie, right? His name is Jamie. Mm-hmm. I, I read it like six months ago. So pardon That's me if okay. I forget some of the details, but. He kind of starts out as like, ooh, the villain. But then you quickly find out that, you know, you're getting into his head and he's really one of the protagonists. But then a new villain emerges. And just kind of playing off that, what is a villain? Who is a villain? You know, how do you set up the conflict? And then our audience question has also asked... What is taboo these days, and what is a way to set yourself up to break ground and do something different? So, kind of a couple questions there.
1: So, um, with establishing Jamie, like, the original version of this, you learn that he's not a villain, like, within the first paragraph. Like, you know what he's doing, like, he's robbing a bank, but, like, you get into his head right away as he's, like, kind of going through his speech and, like, his you know his preparations for it and my editor said like let's pull back on that let's let him be a villain for like a page and a half and then things start to go wrong because that'll probably be a little more funny to like to peel back the layers in there because as he's performing this he has to really believe it to to try to pull it off um but we wanted to to nail right away that like when you're grounded in reality it's like there are very few people who are like really just like maniacal laughing you know evil villains So what's going on in their heads? And that's what I really wanted to do with him to show that, like, hey, he's a really good cat owner, you know, and he returns his library books on time. And, like, those are really important things. (laughs) Uh, And they're they're key parts of his character that show that, you know, he's, in so many ways, he's a lawful good person. He just couldn't figure out a better way to earn a living and retire with his cat on a Caribbean island. That's all he wants to do. It, It was just about trying to get into his head and show that like, e- even though he's doing these things that are technically illegal, he's going out of his way to prepare for it, to make sure no one gets hurt and, and to put on like this persona that kind of exists around his goals. Um, and, and then the, like the, the, the true protagonist who gets revealed about halfway in. Um, I mean, she is a little bit more like comic book tropey, but I really wanted to give her a purpose that, that felt, like, altruistic and personal, so that even though you can see that she's kind of uh, inspired by a lot of, like, comic book villains, um, I think the best comic book villains are the ones where, you know, you can, like, Magneto is probably my personal favorite, and you totally get why Magneto does what he does. And so I wanted someone along those lines who had a purpose to, to what she's doing, and then that's infused within, like, a personal vendetta type of thing. Uh, so that that's where they come from. Like everything is grounded in reality so that they're not just like a two dimensional cartoon.
2: Uh, For me, the the villain was a little trickier because I knew I wanted it to be a reveal. It was kind of like the classic secret villain, like who is the puppet master kind of pulling the strings. Um, So that was, I always think like if you're going to do that, you need to have something that is an antagonistic force happening throughout. And again, what I kind of realized was that since the main character is not the one with superpowers, it's actually his baby sister is the main antagonist. She's the one with the powers, but she's a baby. She doesn't know what she's doing. So the main character, Robbie, wants to be a superhero, but his sister is the one that gets in the way all the time because she's got to take a nap or she's got to go to the bathroom or she's got to – you know, I realized as I was writing it, this is probably like a thinly veiled metaphor for, you know, parenthood that that I was going through, the, the change that you go through in life. So I feel like there's, there's really three antagonists in my book. There's the baby who doesn't want to do any of the stuff that Robbie wants her to do to be a superhero. And there's Robbie himself who has to grow up and realize just because my sister has this power doesn't mean I can use it however I want. I have to actually protect her and be responsible for her. And then there was a third villain, which is the more tropey kind of superhero villain that doesn't get revealed till really towards the end of the book. But then, even that, once I do the reveal, I tried to make it something that was more relatable to like a middle grade audience. So it's not just like, you know, some scary dude in a helmet. Um, It's something that has hopefully more of an emotional punch when it lands.
3: I imagine writing for middle grade is really hard. I never even considered it so props to you for doing that and and spinning that you know that original metaphor of parenthood kind of on its side and making it relatable to that audience speaking of children mine are coming up the stairs so jackie would you like to read the next question
0: all right so this is this is a big one here so totally not bex who is actually becca spence tobias which is another one of our hosts asked, so many superheroes are entwined with American nationalism. Do you think about how you're countering this in your stories?
1: You can make statements about diversity in two ways. You can write a story about an issue, which I cannot do. Um, and I have some friends who sell at it and they write beautiful allegories that really tackle hard issues head on and like they don't make you feel preached to. I could not pull that off. So um, the flip side of that, I think it's really important to write normalization stories where you just see characters exist, characters of diversity exist. Um, and, And so for me, it was really important to have um an asian american superhero and and so she's just there she's a she's a badass and she's a total disaster at the same time and (laughs) and asian americans were not really allowed to be that so it was really important for for the the person who's more screwed up in life to be asian to to just give that sort of like external um outside of the norms for her and, and Jamie this is a very minor plot point but Jamie is pansexual and and so there's reference about his his, his past life like before his memories get walled off like you find out more about um, what his personal relationships were before that and there's also a very specific moment where he looks at zoe like after they've become friends and like he kind of considers like what is their relationship and he's like no we're friends it's it's good and i wanted that to be really really specific and that came from um i have a friend who who is pansexual and he was just talking about how he's like i've never seen myself anywhere in anything and i'm like I want to change that for you, you know, so let me just make this because it's it's not consequential to the story at all. It could be done other ways, but like that's the kind of, I think, normalization that's really important that like you want these things to just exist. Actually, one of my examples I always cite of this when I talk on diversity panels is actually from The Flash on CW. In the first season of The Flash, so this is like 2013, 2014-ish when like, We talked about diversity, but like probably not as much as we do now. And there was just a throwaway line where the police captain, his name is Captain Singh. So he's clearly Indian American. And he says, oh, my husband's going to kill me for working late again. And so it's like within that one line, you have an Asian American in a position of power referencing his legally married husband and they are in a stable healthy relationship in one line and that's the kind of normalization that i'm trying to bring into um, into my stories i just try to write what mm-hmm. i want to see
0: another thing that
1: i noticed about your stories
0: which when i'm kind of ruminating on becca's question is that there's so many you know just force driven storylines that, that were we're punching the hardest, we're, we're stomping the strongest, and that is how we get out of this debacle. And you did not write your story like that, I don't want to give any spoilers or anything, but kind of the way that they ultimately defeat the villain is not necessarily a show of force, and I think that that, that was a, a really cool way to work through that story as well.
1: And, and I like how modern modern superhero media has started to realize that like you don't always have to go there, that like you know, emotional connections mm-hmm. or just creative problem solving can can give you other means of defeating the big bad or solving the big problem. But uh, I, I think like if I wrote something that was ended with purely an action sequence rather than um, you know problem solving in a way, like I wouldn't be able to pull it off that well. It's like it, that just doesn't feel natural to me.
3: I've noticed, Mike, in your books that when you include an action scene, like it always has a purpose and. Obviously, that's how writing's supposed to work. But sometimes in these Marvel movies, I'm just like, why are they doing this? What? Why is this important? Um, and I like that you use it to move the story forward. And I recall from Matt's writing too that that's similar. And I imagine it's the same in Super Kid. Um, but I like with both of you, I like how intentional your stories are and how the characters work together with the plot to create the story.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I love action scenes in movies, but I feel like if they aren't driven by character and story and emotion, they really are empty and meaningless. And you can look at like, I and mean, there's very successful franchises. I won't name names, but that are all about the action set pieces, but I don't really watch them because it's not, it just doesn't hook me in. But if it's something like, um, you know, the lightsaber fight between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back, that's like thrilling to me because it's really the fight scene is an extension of this thing that they can't figure out through only words, which is, I've got something to tell you. I abandoned you when I was a kid, and I'm your dad. And I, you know, Luke not wanting to believe that. And it's such a big emotional issue. They have to like throw things at each other with their mind and have lightsaber fights to kind of get to it. Um, and I think I tried to do the same thing in super kid, you know, I know that's like, it's very much part of the genre and you kind of, particularly for the audience I'm writing for, you have to kind of include that fun stuff, but I did try to make sure that each one was an extension of something that was like kind of happening in the story at that point, some kind of obstacle that they had to, to overcome. And the very ending, like you, Mike, I was thinking about, I just don't want this to be like the world is ending, like a city's flying through the sky, you know, because it just starts to become so big, it means nothing. So I literally boiled it down to the whole climax takes place in like a parking lot outside like a big play place. And it's really between like just a couple of people and what they're talking about is kind of family responsibility. Uh, And so... Hopefully that's more engaging, you know, than like the big kind of spectacle.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think adding just that nuance in there and kind of, yeah, turning those things on their head and making sure that the character drives it. I mean, I, I love writing action as much as the next person. My books definitely have that in there. But um yeah, just making sure that that there's also a problem-solving element rather than just I'm going to crush you is <laughs> is always a nice welcome change. So audience question. Um, what superheroes inspired you to become a fan of the genre or take a crack at writing your own? Were there any elements of favorite superheroes that you reconstructed and recontextualize them into your own stories?
2: I was always a fan of Spider-Man. Um, that was like the superhero I always related to the most because he's got this, these great powers, but he's basically a broke teenager who can't get to class on time like you said earlier, Mike. Like he de- he can't hold down a job because he's always off fighting crime. But he doesn't have billions of dollars like Iron Man or Batman. He doesn't have like he's not. I think emotionally, kind of invincible the way other people are. like Superman doesn't need the job at the Daily Bugle. He could be fine, you know. Like he he could find a way to exist. But Spider Man needs that job. He t- he takes pictures of himself. Like, he's the original selfie guy before selfies existed. He with the the webs up in the corner and his camera in it. And I just love the way, too, he approaches it like he was fun. He wasn't brooding like Batman. He wasn't kind of, you know, an alcoholic like Tony Stark. He's not like this impossible Boy Scout like Captain America and Superman. He's like a relatable, regular dude who's like, in the middle of a fight, he's like, Ben, this is crazy. You've got eight arms. And I was like, that's the kind of thing I feel like I would be doing, you know, is like making those kinds of comments in the middle of it. Uh, and I I really love how, you know, the new Marvel Spider-Man, like the third time the charm. I think they really captured that energy with Tom Holland. Like he's in the middle of a fight and he's like, wow, you got a super suit. That's awesome. I just, I think that energy is great.
0: Yeah. And Mike, I noticed you use a lot of of that in your story too, even in the midst of action, you kind of have that that self-deprecating humor coming out through Zoe and just some of that kind of icebreakers through your scene and, and that's really neat. So were there elements of favorite superheroes for you that helped shape your
1: your story? Yeah, my my favorite childhood superheroes were definitely like on the other end of the spectrum because I read a lot of like The Punisher and the classic X-Men and those would not fit in with with my characters at all but uh one like one of my favorite shows on like of the past 10 years is uh dc's legends of tomorrow which is just like it doesn't quite get as much attention as like the flash or like arrow or like the other uh dc tv shows but it's just it's so ridiculous and the characters understand that it's ridiculous and and they they're all kind of disasters themselves in a way they're they're like They're the self-acknowledged B team of the DC universe Um, and and they always screw up and they just kind of somehow manage to fix things. And so like the internal bar for for Jamie and Zoe was like, could they fit in with the Legends of Tomorrow with what they're doing? And as long as I could meet that sort of internal criteria, um, I, I felt like it was it was doing justice to the story that I wanted to do.
3: That just reminds me of those guys that were stuck in the void in the Teen Titans Go! movie, which I've seen like 800 times. Like, What were they called? The I can't remember.
1: I don't those remember. Guys. I saw that uh, I yeah. saw it once. My, my daughter's like right below the age where it's like that humor is appropriate. So yeah, I, have, that's I haven't fair. seen it again.
3: <laughs> my kids are super, super into it. But that yeah. is my
1: favorite version of Robin, though.
3: And yeah, I was going to say, too, that you guys mentioned WandaVision earlier, and my kids were yakking when you were talking, um, so I couldn't jump in, but I I absolutely love that show, too, and I love Scarlet Witch. I had no idea of the all of the lore behind her, and my kids also really, even though it probably is a little higher than their age range, like, I'm not sure they really got, they definitely didn't get the TV references, <laughs>
0: but they really mm-hmm. enjoyed that, too. Mm. Yeah, I didn't, it took me so long. I was probably, it's probably one of the only Marvel shows where I was just actually researching who exactly everyone was and how do I know Quicksilver and how do I know, okay, Monica is, and and just piecing it all together, which although I've always loved superhero stories and I've loved um, Marvel, I've never been, that was probably the first story that got me like, okay, I need to connect all the dots
1: right this minute. <laughs> yeah. With, with WandaVision, yeah, that's it's awesome. one of the things that uh, Matt had, brought up earlier about like my only critique of wandavision was like at the end i thought like they had set up such a cool premise and format for the show and then like the last episode has like a 20 minute intermission where it's just like typical marvel fighting we're up in the sky and we're punching each other and there's red rays blasting everywhere and like i get why they did that like this is their audience but um i i think as creators, you know Matt and I like we we control our own little world with words, so it's much easier to like we can just do whatever we we want with it. But uh, I I really do like how Wanda Vision for like ninety five percent of it was just like we're going to destroy all expectations and we're going to write something that's extremely character based and do things that you've never tried before with like a comic book property, and I thought they really succeeded. I love the character work in there to
2: have a giant billion-dollar superhero franchise have two episodes fully in black and white without really giving you any hint of what was going on. I was like, that is gutsy. That's a gutsy bold move. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, it's kind of doing the thing that Pixar can kind of do sometimes, which is it's got all these meta-references and jokes to all the TV shows that you recognize. But then, like you saying, Carrie, that your kids could watch it without that, it can do both, which I think is again, ideal. That's always my hope, even though like I've written three books for kids now, my hope is that like an adult, if they picked it up, could read it and be entertained and get something out of it. I I never believe in like dumbing things down for kids because I think kids are really smart and they read up. And I mean, when I was 10, I read Mm up, you know, I was like, you know, picking up books that probably I shouldn't have been picking up. And my parents had (laughs) no idea I was reading, but I think they can handle a lot. Um, You know, obviously I don't, include R-rated stuff. But thematically, I think they're pretty smart about what's going on and can go with it.
0: And I think with books often, at least I've seen with my son, who is 11, 11 and a half, and we've both read sorcery series and loved it, Matt. So I think you're good. You've got that <laughs> that cross appeal. Um, <laughs> is that he'll put something down if he's not ready for it. Like he's not gonna yeah. spend too much time with a book if it's not catching him. And so if it's a little too adult or it's making him uncomfortable, he'll put it down.
3: I always put stuff (laughs) down if I don't like it. It's like life's too short for a book that's not your cup of tea. And it doesn't mean that it's not someone else's cup of tea. You know, it's books are very personal to each reader, but I think, yeah, I agree with um, you too, Jackie, that Matt's books are really accessible to any reader. I totally lost my train of thought here.
1: (laughs) I wanted to be able to connect with like I mean I read like I read Anne Rice when I was like 12. I read all of the Vampire Chronicles and, and I read you know yeah. all sorts of you know very graphically violent comic books and stuff. so it's like um, I, I, I wanted to create a world that just felt like you know anyone who enjoys Marvel or DC or you know whatever, like they could just jump in with it and not necessarily be worried that it's going to get too dark or too creepy or anything like that.
3: Well, Mike, I remember correctly, is your next book about vampires? So that might be a good segue
1: um, if you're allowed I, to talk my, about it. My next book is like a, uh, is about alien abduction. And then the one after that is about okay, vampires. Okay, so
3: we're
0: still going so to have to wait. you really are hitting all the spec fiction. Yes, I, like,
1: <laughs> I oh, love that. I even wrote that down fires.
0: when you said that. I'm like, maybe that should be my life goal, too.
2: <laughs> I, I want to see the um, dial you have in your house, Mike, with all the subgenres on it. <laughs> that you can, like, is, I, I, yeah, I feel like that would be like, yeah, I'd like to see that, 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 that.
0: Life goals. For sure. Well, um, before we jump into plugs and everything, we always try to just ask, since it's an indie writer podcast, were there any resources or craft books or anything like that that helped you in this process of writing your first superhero novel, or even just any resources that you turn to regularly as a writer that you would like to mention?
1: In the past year, so I guess like the final edit and copy edits for this book and then the main drafting for my upcoming alien abduction story, I had started doing sprints of 15 to 30 minutes and I have a few friends who are out of genre from me so it's like we we talk about the industry and the the publishing journey together but like our books have like zero overlapping audience <laughs> but we're like we keep mm-hmm. each other honest with like i did 900 words today i like i'm going to jump in and i'm going to edit right now and it's purely of like we're in a pandemic two of the three of us have children we have day jobs we have no support <laughs> at all so it's uh, it was a new way for me to to try to get to the finish line. And I had never done it before. I had always been like at least one hour sessions, sometimes like hopefully three hours or so. Um, But I I think I'm much more versatile now. And so I think like that's definitely going to be a tool as, as you know, hopefully the world starts reverting a little bit more to normal and childcare becomes available again. Um, I'm definitely going to still try to employ that to to get in quick hits here and there.
2: Yeah. And I I found a similar thing in the last... You know, 14, 15 months. I, we lost all our childcare in March of last year, and the kids were doing distance learning from home. And I had to get in. Like, I try to write five days a week, at least, you know, 1,500 words a day when I'm drafting. I always try to be doing that at some point. And after the first couple of weeks, I realized, like, I can't do it in the house. It's too distracting. I can't go to a coffee shop because all those are closed. So I took my then four year old and I would drive around for 20 minutes until he hopefully fell asleep and then just pull over to the side of the road and start, you know, writing while he was in his nap and it was like literally writing with a gun near your head because you know if he wakes up and starts firing questions at me or says he has to go potty or ask for, you know, a snack, it's like i it'll be tough to get back into it. But there were days he didn't take a nap and I had to convince him like you do your work, I'm going to do my work. <laughs> And I would sit in the front seat and every five minutes, he'd be like, now how many more minutes? Now how many more minutes? And I felt like, again, to go back to Star Wars, Luke on Dagobah with Yoda on his shoulder saying like, use the force, like do it. And I feel like if I could get through that, it made me realize, like Mike was saying, I can, I can write in kind of any situation now. I don't have to have my nice desk and nice quiet and a perfect mug of tea. It's like, I don't have to be alone. Like I could kind of do it anywhere.
1: That is probably the most intense of the, like, writing during the pandemic stories that I've heard, so good job, (laughs) Matt.
0: (laughs) And I want to give you guys a chance to um, let everyone know how to keep up with you and where to find you and what you're working on next.
1: So, Mike, do you want to go first? Sure. I'm mostly active on Twitter, and that's at Mike Chen Writer. You have to make sure it's not the other Mike Chen with 3 million followers. He is a YouTube <laughs> food guy. Sometimes I get his fan mail and he has occasionally gotten mine too. So we've we've talked and joked about how we should do a Mike Chen podcast. Uh, so that's where I'm most active. Uh, my website is MikeChenBooks.com and I only update that like once a year. I really need to do that more. And uh, yeah, that's basically where you can find me. My next book, which is going into copy edits right now, is called Light Years From Home. And it's uh, in inspired by The X-Files and the Haunting of Hill House series on uh, Netflix. It's about a family that uh, sees one of their uh, children get abducted by aliens, and it causes them all to fracture. And then 15 years later, um, the son returns, having claimed to have been fighting in an intergalactic war for, for all that time. And they have cool. to figure out, is he lying? Is he have m- mental illness? And what has happened to their family relations in between? I notice a
0: theme with awesome. your stories of whether it's superhero or time travel, but it's always like kind of a missing puzzle piece part to it. I
1: realize now, you know, I'm I'm hitting a lot of like uh, repeated themes of like identity and memory and family and stuff. I'm like, oh, no, I'm like every time it's there and it's like, OK, well, I guess that's just who I am.
0: I don't think that's an oh no. I think it's cool to show how you can use those similar themes in in various genres. That's neat. As long as no one gets sick of it, it just means you're in. Yeah, it just
2: means you're an auteur. I mean, look at like Spielberg <laughs> and Scorsese. They've you know done dozens of movies. They're all about the same thing every time, but they're interesting. <laughs> you know, every time. I'll take it. Yeah. So, and I'm on. I would say I like Instagram the best, but I'm on all the stuff. Uh, I'm Instagram. I'm at Matt underscore harry underscore mh and I'm on Twitter at Matt Harry mh as well. I like the picture aspect of Instagram. <laughs> it's it's a little more gentle than I think Twitter can be sometimes. But I'm on, on Facebook as well. So I'm currently on submission for this uh, pandemic dystopian detective novel uh, called Ashland. So we'll see what's going on with that. And then I'm drafting something that's totally different. Um, it's actually a an adult choose your adventure style book in something that I'm hoping is kind of a different type of choose your adventure style thing than we've seen before. So that's going to be something very different as well. And I'm hoping to finish the first draft of that by the end of the month.
0: Cool. well thank you both good. for coming. This was so fun.
3: Yeah. Very yeah, excited you to this read more. <laughs> Thanks for listening to
0: the Indie Writer Podcast. Today I wanted to let all of our listeners know that we recently launched a patron account through Podbean, where you can become a monthly subscriber for as little as $5 a month. Perks for indie authors include having your name and book link listed in our episode show notes and on-air shoutouts. For the first 20 people to subscribe at the $10 or $20 level. We will also place your book link or creator website in the show notes for all previously published episodes. Once we reach our third goal, we will transition from episodes every other week to episodes each week. So if you want more of the Indie Writer Podcast and our wonderful guests, then please head over to IndieWriterPodcast.Podbean.com and click Become a Patron. We appreciate all of you, and we want to thank the Indie Author and Writing Block communities for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing!